morning. How are we doing this morning? Doing well? Doing well? Awesome. Awesome. Man, you guys, I went up to go run around the lake this morning because I'm crazy. Uh, but man, some of you guys wake up pretty early. I saw you all for morning worship, which is awesome. Uh, it was so cool seeing you guys looking at the lake. Is the lake not beautiful this week? I mean, come on, the mountains and everything, it's unbelievable. I hope you guys are soaking all of this week in. Well, man, this morning, you and I get to have a very candid and honest and hard conversation together. I think through uh, using an illustration for an example, how many of you have ever eaten something and then something gets stuck in your teeth? Has that happened to anybody? Yeah. Now, what, what would be the worst thing? Imagine your best friend sees those pearly whites and just sees a gnarly piece of lettuce right in your teeth. What's the most kind and loving thing your friend could do? Tell you about it. It would be messed up if I saw one of you guys walking around the lake and you just had like, I don't know, like a piece of Oreo milkshake jammed in between your first two teeth. And I was like, I could tell them about it, but I don't want to offend them. So I'm just going to let them go about their day. But then you end up having to pay the consequences for no one being honest with you or the truth of what's happened. And then they're going laughing and it can set you up for embarrassment. Well, this morning, I'm going to do my best out of love and care for you to be honest with where we're at in our walk with Jesus. Because night night one, we looked at who God is. He's all powerful, all creator, uh, all holy. He is absolutely perfect, yet he is a relational source of love to his creation. We looked at God's word that what I'm telling you, what we've been walking through this week is not Matt's opinion on what truth is, nor is it your teacher's opinion on what truth is, nor is it culture's opinion on what truth is. It's what God says is true, that his word can be trusted. And we looked at last night that his word from cover to cover points to Jesus as king, points to Jesus as Messiah, points to Jesus as loving, points to Jesus as God. And so in light of all of that, we now kind of turn our focus on who you and I are in light of all that, if that is true. I'm a big fan of National Geographic. I'm a huge fan of animals. I'm pretty sure if I wasn't a pastor or a teacher, uh, I would go work at a local zoo or something. I love animals. Well, with that, I'm also a big fan of monkeys. I think they're crazy. I think they're awesome. They can like swing from their tails. I was like, that's my dream, right? But there's a harsh reality to individuals who poach or hunt monkeys, which is such a grotesque practice. Never do it. But do you know how they catch them? They set up a basket on the bottom of trees. And then in the basket, they just put a little bit of fruit, sweet fruit in the bottom of the basket. Now the hole in the basket's about this big, just big enough for a monkey to take his little hand and squeeze it in the hole and grab the fruit. And then when he does this and he grabs the fruit, because now his hand is much bigger, he can't pull it out of the hole. He's stuck. 
And so what happens is the poachers who are hiding, lying in wait, see this happen and they begin to make their way towards the monkey in order to capture it and kill it. All the monkey has to do is let go of the fruit and he could get away. But he is stuck. He won't let go to the reality that he wants what's in that basket more than his own freedom. And this morning, we're going to look at what is in that basket, what we are all born holding, that being sin. That you and I were born, as scripture says, conceived in iniquity, holding on, laced with our own sin that leads to certain death. It's a hard truth this morning, but it's a truth that you and I cannot escape from. So with that, let me go before the Lord and pray as we wrestle together with this hard truth. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, God, that you love us enough that you're going to be honest with us. God, that we have sin, we have darkness in us. God, and we need to come to the reality that that is true. Father, I pray as we wrestle this morning, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place and convict us. May we be honest about where we are at. It's a hard truth, but it is true nonetheless. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So again, up until this point, we're again, we're following the trajectory of Jesus in the book of John. We've seen him do miracles We have seen him turn water into wine. We've seen the lame walk. We've seen him proclaim that he is Lord, that he is Messiah, that he is God. And this morning, Jesus comes face to face with a woman who's caught, very much like the monkey trap, caught in her own sin. So we're in John chapter 8, verse 1. Verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So picture Jesus outside of the temple, sitting down, teaching the people about God. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman, but what do you say? And they said to test him, that they might have some charge against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Are you picturing it in your mind? 
Are you seeing this scene in your head? Jesus sitting down, teaching the people about God. And they're all adamant and paying attention to him. And all of a sudden, commotion in the distance begins to get louder. And this commotion comes closer and closer to where Jesus is teaching. Then all of a sudden, all these scribes, this crowd is gathered around. And these two teachers take this woman who's been caught in adultery, being intimate with a man who isn't her husband, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, naked and exposed. And they look at Jesus and say, hey, according to the law of Moses, she deserves to die for her actions. What do you say? They're trying to trick Jesus. Is Jesus going to go against the law of God in Moses, in the Old Testament, or, and do that, or is he going to commit this woman to death, which at the time he didn't have the right to do? It's a trick. But I love what Jesus does he doesn't freak out he doesn't get in an argument he doesn't try to debate his way out of the situation we see that Jesus in calm and in stillness sits down bends to the ground and begins to write something in the sand and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus writes but I just want to offer a theory it's not what the word says, but I think he must have written something down that was deeply troubling to the crowd around him. How do I know this? Because after he writes in the ground and he says, you who are without sin, throw the first stone, there's something Jesus writes that is in their face that is so convicting that they just begin to walk away, that they can't stand the reality of what they're seeing, what Jesus has written in the ground. I wonder... I wonder if maybe as Jesus wrote in the ground, he began to write or list maybe the secret sins that these scribes and Pharisees and teachers had locked away in their closet that they hoped no one would ever know. And in this moment, the scribes and Pharisees, what they went to bring a woman face to face with her sin are actually met with the full weight of their own sin. Imagine Imagine if I took your phone and you didn't lose it. Like imagine if I took your phone and I put up your entire search history on the screen. Imagine if I took your phone and I put every direct message you have ever sent on the screen. Dude, y'all already know. Y'all already know. Imagine... I put your camera roll on the screen. It might be funny. Some of you, too many selfies with duck face, which is a conversation for another time. But think about it. Maybe Jesus, in a sense, in this moment, is taking what these scribes and Pharisees thought was so hidden, thought they could just work their way out, thought nobody could know, and before the crowds, he puts it on the screen, so to speak. And just like you or I, what we might do is we just begin to walk away. This is too much. The reality is too heavy. What I'm seeing is too grave. Jesus then in chapter 8 verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. 
We talk through God being light and in that process, it can be exposing, can it not? When you've kept things in the dark and then the light of God shines on it, what you intended to keep hidden is now plain for all to see because he is holy and in him is no blemish and he illuminates that which is not the same as him. And then verse 18, why can Jesus do this? In chapter eight, verse, 16, verse 18, I am he who testifies, who testifies about myself and the father who testifies about me. I can do this because I am holy, because I am God, because I'm without blemish, that because I'm holy, sin cannot stand and be in relationship with me. Jesus proclaiming this hard truth. And what is the result of this hard truth? In John chapter eight, verse 21, he says, you will seek me and die of your sin. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had been seeking Jesus, not for the cause of pursuing him, but for the cause of tricking him. And Jesus said, one of these days, you're gonna come seek me out but the problem is you're not going to find me. You are going to find death as a result of sin. And then verse 824, this harsh truth, but truth nonetheless, and at the same time loving, says you will die in your sin. Friends, obviously sin is no trivial matter. Obviously, sin is of great and grave importance. And I know for a fact that everyone in this room, you and me included, are marked by it, stained by it. Don't believe me, I just joked about putting your iPhone on the screen and all of you already knew. All of you already understood that reality that you have things that are in contradictory, that are in disagreement with God, that are against God and are not for God and therefore you can be separated from God as a result of sin. So what is sin? What is it? It's living, thinking, or acting in opposition to God's will. That's what sin is. Sin was also used as an archery term, as missing the mark, archers pulling out arrows, firing at a target. And if they missed their target, it was missing the mark. It was sin. But the truth of what exactly sin is, is eternity, eternity altering. And we see this from the very beginning as we get introduced to sin for the first time in the history of humanity in Genesis 3. How many of you remember night one where we looked at God creating, right? He created all things out of his breath. He put stars. He created man and woman in his image and he walked with them in the garden. There was no sin. They had perfect relationship with God. It was incredible, incredible. He was walking with them in the cool of the day. They knew him on a face-to-face -face level. And then Genesis 3, page 3 of your Bible. This is why the Bible is not a good, very self-help book, because on page 3, it all comes undone. What happens? Adam and Eve walking in the garden. They get to a tree, and then in the tree is a serpent. 
And the serpent or the devil or the evil one whispers in their ear and says this when asking them to eat of the tree that God has told them not to eat. I think this is what we do with sin too all the time. We think God is holding out on us. That man, there's, he's not letting me have any fun. He's not for my good. Think about it. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. They had ultimate freedom. Heard a pastor say the other day, our lead pastor at our church was like, if I in this room said, you can go and look through any door in this chapel, but you can't go through that one, all of you are gonna say, why can't I go through that one? I wanna go through that one. Because we have this propensity to sin. God has given Adam and Eve ultimate freedom. And the serpent, the evil one, begins to whisper in Eve's ear, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said, you will not surely die. For God knows that you will eat and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan, the deceiver, whispers three lies to Adam and Eve in this moment. First, he challenges God's word, what we looked at on morning one, the truth of it. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. He challenges God's word. He then challenges God's all-powerful justice. You won't die. You can't take God at his word. He's gonna totally let you do that. And then he challenges God's love. Oh, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to experience that. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to experience all that the world has to offer. It's very similar to the lure analogy that was said in the video. We look at it and it seems good. It's exactly what I think my heart wants and my feelings desire. And I think, man, why shouldn't I go after that? That's what I want. God's holding out on me. And then what happens? Like the fish... And like Adam and Eve, they take of the tree and they eat. Adam and Eve, in this moment, build their own kingdoms in opposition to God. Because up until this moment, they said, God, I, I love you. I submit to you. I agree with you. And then when they take of the fruit off the tree, what they're saying is, I don't need to do life with you anymore, God. I want my kingdom, not your kingdom. In a word that's called treason. That's you and me saying, God, I don't want you. I'm gonna do life in opposition against you. It's me versus you. And that is what Adam and Eve choose. And friends, the sin that is committed in Genesis 3 is more than just a sin of commission, meaning disobedience. A sin of commission is just doing something wrong. It's where you knew what to do was right and you chose not to do it and you did the wrong thing. It's more than just the sin of omission. Like having the ability to do the right thing, like seeing uh, someone needy and then choosing not to do anything, that's a sin of omission. It's much deeper than that. It's a sin of what we call autonomy. Can you say autonomy? Autonomy. Why is autonomy such a big deal? Well, to define the word autonomy, autonomy means 
Choosing to do life alone, on your own, without God. Autonomy is choosing to do life alone, on your own, without God. Adam and Eve in this moment choose, I don't need God, I don't want God, and I want to be the God of my own life. And so what does this sin now do? Sin separates. Say separates. Sin separates you and it separates me from what we looked at on night one, a holy, perfect, blameless, altogether other God. That because of it, you and I no longer get to have relationship with God. And as a matter of fact, we are now objects of God's wrath. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as one man, through one man being Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to, get this, all mankind. And you might look at me and say, well, Matt, I wasn't there. I I didn't have anything to do with that. Friends, I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter. It's like it just is. It's truth. Had Had a mentor say, it's like gravity. It doesn't care whether you agree with it or not. It just is fact. That you and I, that sin and separation has spread to you and it has spread to me. And we see these symptoms all over the world today. You can't get on Twitter. You can't get on Instagram. You can't watch the news. You can't go to school without seeing it. I'm a dad of a four and a three-year-old and I love them more than anything. Did I teach my daughter, Selah, how to be dishonest? No. No. She just did that on her own. I'll never forget the first time I watched her put two hands in her little sister's chest and just push her over in the living room. And I was like, that's tough. And my little daughter is just crying. And I looked at my oldest daughter. I said, hey, did you, and I saw this whole thing. Did you push Sunday? Did you push your your sister? She looks at me and goes, no. I saw the whole thing happen before my eyes. I did not teach my daughter how to sin. That came naturally. No one taught you how to hide stuff on your phones. No one taught you how to be dishonest. No one taught you how to gossip against your friend. No one taught you how to cheat on homework or tests. No one taught you how to slander your friends. No one taught you fill in the blank. That sin, that illness, like a terminal illness, you and I have inherited and it just comes naturally. David in Psalm 51 puts it this way, in sin, my mother conceived me from the moment I was born. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, if we say we have no sin. So if you're looking at me tonight, this morning going, Matt, not me, doesn't apply to me. I was the perfect child. False. What does 1 John 1, 8 say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and get this, the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. Romans 10.10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. So you may look at me and go, Matt, I've done so much good. I've never cheated on a test. But then I look at this and goes, it doesn't matter. Our level is perfection. 
And his word, his true word would tell us that none hit that level. That none is righteous, not one, and no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, not some, all. That's all of you and me. All have sinned and no one understands or seeks God. Friends, again, sin separates us completely from God himself because he is wholly set apart. He is perfect. He is the pure embodiment of absolute perfection and perfection is the standard that because of sin, you and I will never reach. So what is the cost? What is the cost of our sin? What's at the other end of it? Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And in John 3, 36 says, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And Romans 6, 23, when it says, for the wages of sin is death, that death has a double meaning. In the original language, it says, he, the wages of sin is die, die. It's said twice. Why? Because it's not just a physical death. It's not just you get to the end of your physical life on earth. It is also an eternal death. An eternal death separated from love. An eternal death separated from joy. An eternal life separated from peace. Because all those things are found in God alone. Because it's an eternal life separated from God. So if you're like me, you're probably thinking, Matt, well, what can we do about it? What can I do about it? This sounds terrible. Sounds horrible. How do I work my way out of this? You can't. I can't. Even on my best day, even on your best day, you can't. It says even our best intentions are but filthy rags at the feet of a holy God. Imagine this. Imagine I have paint, black paint, permanently stained on my shirt and on my hands. Can I clean myself off? Can I clean myself off? Why? Because my hands are stained. And when I say, no, I can do it on my own, and I begin to try to rub the black and the paint off my shirt because my hands are permanently stained by it, I just get more stained in the process. You can't do anything about it on your own strength. Not by your good deeds, not by your good intentions. There's nothing you can do. Because sin has stained our souls, has stained our hearts, and we are broken. We need somebody else. You and I need someone who is not stained by sin. Someone who is pure love personified. Someone who is the righteousness and holiness of God in human form to pay our wages of death. You and I need a savior, period, full stop. We need someone to come whose hands are not stained, 
whose heart is without blemish, who can stand in perfect relationship with the God of the universe and purely pay for your sin and my sin so that we can be back in relationship with him. You and I need a savior. Now I understand this message isn't exactly the most fun to talk about, but it's so essential for you and I to realize that I'm in desperate need of a savior. So as you talk this morning, here's my hope for you and my prayer for you. You guys have an opportunity that if I could go back in time and look at my junior high self, I would say, Matt, let the sin out of those locked places. Admit that you need a savior. Admit that you can't do it. Because man, I spent years after junior high, seventh grade, eighth grade, high school, college, trying to wipe myself off trying to look the part, but inside I was dead. I was like, uh, looked beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there was nothing living within me. If I could go back and my junior high self was sitting in this chapel this morning, I would look at him and say, Matt, you can't do it. You're in desperate need of a savior. You have sinned. The shame that you're feeling is not from God. It's the devil trying to keep you in those dark places. Bring what is in the darkness into the light and admit you can't defeat sin. You can't save yourself. Admit that you need a savior. So as you go back and you discuss this as cabins with your counselors, again, as my challenge has been all week, be honest. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, God, you're good. God, I thank you that you love us enough to tell us exactly what we need to hear, even if it hurts. Father, the only thing we bring to the table in the first place is our need for a Savior. I pray for my friends. God, that this morning and today we would do some honest wrestling with you, that we be honest about our sin to you, that we be honest about our sin to ourselves, and that we be honest about our sin to our friends. God, I, I pray if there's anyone in here who believes they can do it on their own, who they can save themselves, who the lie of this message doesn't apply to me, God, would you seep deep into their hearts, into their ears, into their minds? And by your spirit, would you show them and show us that we are daily desperately in need of you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.